you know, the joke in the hotel industry is that most hoteliers build hotels not for ROI, but for ROE. And ROE is the return on ego. Right? <laughs> so a lot of people actually uh, build hotels to satisfy their own egos without having to do the effort and the due diligence to understand exactly how much to spend on it. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Indian Dream. In this episode, we do a deep dive into the hotel industry with Siddharth Goenka, the founder of Octave Hotels and RSL. Siddharth started his career as a software engineer for Microsoft in the US and now runs a chain of more than 30 hotels across Bangalore. He even used his previous software development knowledge to build RSL, a product specifically built to help hotels increase their revenue. This episode will be super interesting for anyone who wants to know more about the economics of the hotel industry, how they run, how to build a microSaaS product, or just anyone who loves learning about new businesses. Before getting into the episode, Siddharth and I have been producing these podcasts ourselves for the past 10 months and we have made more than 80 episodes. Right from ideation, guest sourcing, editing, we do everything ourselves and it takes up a lot of time. We'd love to hire some more interns and outsource editing so that we can get you better ideas, trends and business opportunities. There's going to be a link in the show notes where you can contribute. We're going to put all of that money back into the Indian dream and try to get you more high quality content. Now on to the episode. Siddharth, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm extremely excited to talk to you about the business of hotels and the businesses that you build in this, uh, in this space, Octave Hotels, IOSL, uh, we're going to talk all about that. But I want to know how you landed up in the hotel industry because I went through your profile and this, is not, it was, this wasn't a, a common progression where you started out in this industry and then just grew, right? It was, uh, it was something else. So I would love to know how you entered this space. Sure. Um, thanks a lot, uh, Siddharth, for having me here. And uh, so, yeah, so my enter into hospitality or my entry into hospitality industry was completely uh, by chance and serendipitous. I, in fact, was a complete outsider. I still consider myself an outsider to the hotel industry. I was a computer engineer. I used to work for Microsoft in the U.S. Uh, I became a management consultant most post my MBA. And uh, I used to, uh, you know, be completely, uh, I mean, hotels was something that was not in any of my uh, either education or work experience until uh, 2012. And then almost by chance, uh, my family had uh, a property in Bangalore, although my family doesn't live here, but uh, one of the investments they made here uh, was a hotel in Bangalore. And uh, we were not in the best of uh, our financial health at that time. And uh, my corporate life at that time was kind of reaching a, a plateau when I was looking for a sort of an entrepreneurial bug uh, and an opportunity. So without knowing much and without really thinking much, I uh, moved myself from Mumbai to Bangalore and kind of uh, landed in the hotel industry. Uh, honestly, it was a very new world for me and I did not like it. I hated it for the first couple of years. It was a very operational heavy industry. It was something that I did not have uh, any background on. And there were a lot of things that were going wrong. So it was just by chance. Uh, yeah, uh, if I go back to those days, it was a tough It was a tough time. But uh, one thing led to another. I kind of, uh, you know, rolled up my sleeves and dug my heels in and decided that, okay, I should probably, now that I'm here, I should figure it out. One thing led to another. And fast forward 10 years, I feel like uh, this, is a, this is a big passion. And I feel like I live and breathe and dream this industry. 
so yeah it is all uh, <laughs> yeah you you've ended up um, building two ventures in this space so clearly i think the passion has has um, come about with with time um tell us a little about the kind of hotel that you sort of jumped into i'm, I'm assuming one single hotel that you were trying to manage when you jumped into this right so uh, yeah when i when i came in there there was one uh, 40 room hotel which was like a three star boutique property uh, which was not uh, doing very well as such uh, and uh, so that's when i i jumped in and tried to wrap my head around what was going on realized that okay there is a you know uh, there there are many parts of the business and uh, uh, i wasn't very clear on which one um, which one would turn profitable so uh, you know Uh, we decided to grow within this segment so uh, i think hotels in general can be classified into two or three segments uh, the five star hotels and the large hotels which are typically branded hotels is one segment uh, the mid segment three star hotels is the kind that i entered is the other segment and uh, small nowadays these independent homestays and airbnb uh, sort of lodges and that kind of uh, less than 10 rooms is a is a third segment so our hotel clearly was in the in the second segment which uh, incidentally is about 90% of the uh, supply not just in india probably uh, around the world so this is the lion's share of what the hotel market is and typically these hotels are owned by independent uh, landowners landlords small businessmen which are typically not from the hotel industry so one of the gaps that exists is that hotel industry over a period of time has gone from being a landlord sort of real estate industry to being a specialist industry so a generalist it's very difficult for a generalist to be successful in this industry and it is more likely that a you need specialist skills to be successful and there is a whole we can talk a little bit about what those skills are and and, and what is that so So yeah, so that's that's kind of what it was today. Uh, just to uh, you know, just to sort of put the context, we now have a, a, a chain of about fifteen hotels in Bangalore, and uh, that we run under our own brands. And uh, one of the things that has come out of our hotels is a technology company, because uh, I realized while running my hotels that one of the things that this industry does not do very well is uh, is automation and integration and using technology to its highest need, and uh, one of the changes that has sort of come in this industry is also that uh, you know a lot of customers are using online channels you know uh, uh, to book book rooms the buying behavior has become very last minute so need for automation need for integration real time dynamism is very high and that is what uh, caught that is what caught my imagination to try and build uh, iocell which is the b2b sort of uh, tech hospitality technology company So that is the company that uh, started about three, four years ago. Fully came into being uh, two years ago, and uh, now we have uh, almost two hundred plus hotels uh, in twenty countries uh, using our software. Perfect. We're going to go deep into both those businesses, but tell me something. When you came into this, uh, this, as you as you rightly mentioned, I think it moved from a generalist to a specialist role because earlier what happened was people were just you know had these properties where they invested money in. and one of the ways to monetize that was hotels right so you do the basics you get some trained staff and and you run a hotel and because the supply was constrained this is early 2000s to the even uh, mid 2000 late mid late 2000s where the supply was constrained hence regardless of what the hotel was if you were doing a half decent job of maintaining it and stuff like that you would get 
traffic and you would get demand right and that started changing late 2000s i think early 2010s really started changing with like lot more properties lot more competition so when you entered this space you you know as you said it was in financial sort of burden what were some of the things that were wrong what were some of the things that you when you studied because you were an outsider so i'm assuming you studied it very objectively sure so um, so strategically so there are very different buckets in which i i can kind of try to answer your question strategically i realized that okay what are the see hotels traditionally have different uh, uh, you know different areas so there is rooms division there is a f&b division there's a restaurant there's a bar there's a spa and lots of ancillary things right and one of the things i realized that um, uh, every hotel especially in this mid segment cannot be a specialist in all these areas right so you have to really find what your core competence is and you have to really find what you're good at and what you can sustain profitably so one of my understandings was that i had at that time when i entered i had a restaurant and i had a bar in my hotel but that was just uh, you know the fnb was consuming almost 60% of my uh, 60 to 70% of my costs and probably giving me 20 to 30% of the overall uh, profits right or at that time uh, revenues so i realized that okay this was something that is clearly not uh, uh, you know in, in sync and when i looked at the other two domains like uh, rooms and banqueting those were actually the rooms still constitute about 60 70% of the uh, both the revenues and the profits and banqueting was another area which was probably a little easier to operationally manage and had higher margins because it did not have a lot of operational day to day costs so i i did try i mean you know i because i inherited the restaurant and the the bar and i kind of uh, ran it with all my might for two years and through the kitchen sink at it and everything that i had but i realized that no matter what i was, i had to be a specialist in that i had to have a large operation which would have a minimum 200 300 seater place which was just physically not possible and have that expertise both at the kitchen and in the marketing as well as the operational level to make that a success so i realized that it was not something that was up my alley and it was something that was draining me of my time of my uh, profits and uh, of the energy so we decided to backtrack off it right so we decided to close down the the fnb and keep it only to the banqueting however still in our hotels we we know innovated a lot across all different areas one of the areas that we innovated was also we still run a 24 hours uh, room service for because our rooms is our big thing but what we did was that most of our room service items can be catered by a pantry so we had a lot of a mix of frozen ready to eat vending machine type of food and this is the idea that i got as the more i traveled around europe and uh, america and i realized that a lot of hotels there because manpower is very expensive in the western countries they really have a lot of these mid segment hotels run their shows very lean and mean right so uh, food is not given a, as much fnb is not given as much of a uh, emphasis unless they have a specialist uh, a bar or a you know so that is the same idea i kind of imported and try to convert and so while our rooms have a basic uh, uh, fnb uh, uh, room service sort of uh, 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 so uh, an offering we have really scaled down on our boss uh, outlets uh, point of sale outlets like restaurants and, and bars so i think what happens i guess when you're trying to compete on all these different services 
is you're competing with specialists in that services, right? You're con- you're competing with a specialist restaurant, a specialist bar, a specialist spa that could be around the corner, right? Um, and and for you, it's one of those services, so you obviously can't deliver the same experience. So, I mean, on paper, um, it makes sense why you need to sort of uh, do the focus thing. But when you, as you said, when you get a hotel that already has a bunch of things, the first mindset is to make it run as it is. Um, rather than go out and say, I'm just going to close a bunch of things down, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, I agree with you. It was, it was actually, you know, in, in Bangalore, actually, incidentally, it's a big deal to get a bar license. And I remember I had this argument with my father because he was just like, hey, we, we, we had so much trouble and spent so much money in getting the bar license. Are you going to just give it back up? And I'm like, hey, it doesn't fit in my strategy. Because if I want to scale, I want to scale in an area that we are good at and we know what what how to run that and i realized that rooms was an area that we kind of had expertise in and that we could scale up and obviously now we have almost uh, 400 rooms under our management and uh, it it is something that has played out but at that time it did, it did seem like a outlandish idea to to give up what we had already uh, you know worked on so um i was just having this conversation yesterday the other day with my own mother about hotels and how they run and whether they're profitable um, clearly, my entire family is into business and <laughs> enjoys these conversations. But um, from the outside, it seems that hotels are a very capital-intensive business. Um, I'm assuming that uh, when you take over a building, there's a going to be a huge cost into building up all the rooms because all the rooms need to have a minimum level of service, especially for a three-star hotel. Um, then I'm assuming that... Um, your maintenance cost each year is going to be a certain percentage depending on the type of hotel you run. Your rental is going to be a certain uh, percentage uh, depending, again, on the type of hotel you run. Um, so if you could just take us through some of these economics of um, of the business of hotels um, based on like the kind of three-star hotel that you guys were running or are running. So, uh, so one is on the capital expenditure side and one is on the operation side. So I'll take both of those separately. So capital expenditure is actually one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest things to think about while setting up a hotel. So one of the things that people should think is that why do I need a hotel, right? A lot of times, uh, you know, the joke in the hotel industry is that most hoteliers build hotels not for ROI but for ROE, and ROE is the return on ego, right? <laughs> So a lot of people actually uh, build hotels to satisfy their own egos without having to do the, you know, the, uh, you know, the effort and the due diligence to understand exactly how much to spend on it. So typically most, the way most people go wrong is that they overspend while building their hotels because they kind of associate it with a dream project, right? Which may not be uh, prudent in this competitive landscape, right? When you're in a hyper-competitive world, you cannot get the rates, the ARRs, the average room rates, as we call it, as the key metric in the hotel industry, as high as one would like because there's competition. Whenever there's competition, prices come down. So hence, the amount we spend on these hotels uh, has to be commensurate with the kind of profit that we can generate from it. So earlier, this kind of rule of thumbs that was there was uh, uh, people would spend for three-star hotels maybe 30 lakhs per room as a, as a thumb rule. And I think that there are ways that one can really bring that down. Even if you were to come come up with a new project, I think there's a possibility of bringing that down to less than, uh, uh, you know, less than 15, 10, 15 lakhs or something like that. So, so, that, so just a quick question over there. So each room is going to cost 30 lakhs per, uh, 
for, for the renovation or whatever. And that is your capital expenditure. But you mentioned average room rate. So what is the average amount that a single room uh, would generate in revenue per year? So, yeah, so this is also one of the things that, I mean, there is no clear relation between the cost per room and the average room because the average room is dependent on different markets. And when I say the cost per room, this is typically a metric that we use to kind of estimate the cost of a project in the industry. Right? What is the cost of an industry, uh, project? So if you are, for example, uh, running a 50-room hotel at uh, 30 lakhs, that comes to 15 crore. Uh, uh, is, a, is a lump sum that you probably can estimate. This is to build the entire thing, right? Yes, this is to build the entire thing, including land, right? This is, so again, now there is one, there's one pressure around building the, or bringing the cost of key down, primarily because eventually your returns are going to be measured by the, the room rates and what you're going to be able to sell those rooms for, right? So, uh, so yeah, so I think that uh, eventually uh, finding a balance is, is the key keeping the capital expenditure low. And another thing that a lot of people make mistakes when they build their own hotels is that they, they make a limited number of rooms. So whenever you're spending your own money, there are two types of hoteliers. So there's one who spend their own money and the one who use others' properties. Like now I've become the other pro other side because I'm actually using others' properties, other landlords who don't know how to monetize their properties to try and monetize them. So when you're building one, the, the key is to build mo the more number of rooms, the better. Because the co operating cost of running a room is much lower. Because hotels have a mix uh, have a mix of fixed costs and variable costs, right? The bulk of the costs for hotels are fixed costs, not variable costs. So to run a hotel, whether it's a forty-room hotel or a seventy-room hotel, the cost is the incremental cost is not even 20 percent. You understand? So so which is why if I can make a seventy-room hotel, the amount of money I can make from it. If I run it to 60% or 80% occupancy, I just have more revenue opportunities the more number of rooms I build. So these are some of the, uh, you know, this is on the capital expenditure side, what some of the key learnings or some of the things that uh, hoteliers can keep in mind as they plan their project. So I think it's all also goes back to just trying to understand what your seg what segment are you tra targeting and what do they actually need? And I have a, I have a good sort of, example around this i used to travel a lot for work across different cities in north india um typical sales role and one of the things that i realized this is pre-oyo townhouse post-oyo townhouse was one pre-oyo townhouse it was very difficult to really figure out like okay if i'm going to a particular hotel what is the basic expectation that i can have right like will the toilets be clean will i have a study table will i have this that all of those things what Townhouse um, taught me, although I'm not a big fan of the company OYO, but what Townhouse um, actually taught me was, okay, if you standardize a few things, it's very easy for me to assume that, okay, if I'm booking a Townhouse, I'm going to get XYZ things, right? Um, and that standardization from a business traveler perspective was good enough. So I think, as you said, return on ego. So a lot of that thought never went into who are you building this for? What do they actually need? Do you need that bar or not, all of those things probably never happened when these hotels were built. So yeah, coming on to the, since you mentioned about the townhouses and so the next part of hotels is the operations part, right? On the operations part, um, there are a few, uh, to answer Sahil's initial question, there are a few segments of, of costs that one has to look in, have to look into, right? Uh, so maintenance and, and energy and electricity are probably about 15, 20%, 15, 10 to 15% of the overall revenues. 
manpower is typically between 20 to 25 percent uh, of the uh, revenues. Uh, then purchases is a, maybe about 15, 20 percent again, right? So that leaves the most property owners who own their own properties probably are left with about 30 to 40 percent good margins in the hotel business, right? For somebody like us, or for somebody like town, townhouse that you mentioned, these are not our properties, right? So these are not ancestral properties. So there is a rental amount that sort of comes into play. And there is a marketing amount that comes into play. So typically the marketing costs you can count as 20 to 25%, including um, uh, you know commissions and uh, travel agent costs and OTA costs and, and, and all of that. And then for us, you'll be surprised that we pay almost a 40% of revenues as our rental costs. So one of the biggest challenges that we have, that if we are paying 40% rental and 20% marketing costs, we technically have to squeeze all our other costs within the remaining 40% and keep margin for ourselves. Now, this is a humongous monumental task, right? And that is where the idea of a townhouse sort of comes into play. Because what you then go about, and I mean, although as, as I agree with you, I'm not a big fan of the company, but I, I'm a fan of the model. Because the model means you standardize and make sure you keep as many things as low cut, as uh, you know, simple and what, what is required so that can you run a hotel with bare minimum staff? Can you ensure that you provide only as much as a customer needs? Can you define your key segment? So for, for us, what we realized is that we have to define our proposition to the customer. And I defined my proposition in one line, which said that I'm going to make sure I give my customer a good night's sleep, right? Because he comes to my hotel. See, I'm a business segment hotel. My customer comes to my hotel, not to holiday. He comes to my hotel as a transit, right? So he has usually some other work. He has, uh, he's coming visiting Bangalore. He has either, you know, he has some work, some business, some, some you know, admissions, some medical, whatever it is. Right. So, so for me, the proposition that I had to focus on the basics and I realized if you focused on the basics and what are those basics? The basics are around, what do you look for when you go to a, a hotel, right? You look for a nice a clean room, uh, a clean, uh, you know, comfortable bed. You look for a nice uh, bathroom, which has hot water. You want the air conditioning to work. You want things to be hygienic. You want, uh, you know, uh, uh, you want to have the basic elements of, uh, of water and things like that. A, a basic television, even a small size television, just, yeah. So, yeah, television, Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is a big one that most customers. So, we really made sure that we got these down all the way. So, in our hotels, even though we are trying to cut a lot of our costs and standardize it, we make sure that I, our Wi-Fi is super high speed. We make sure that our television has all the channels that a person would probably watch in his own home, right? We ensure that the air conditioning and the hot water are working all the time. So a lot of, we just focused on these basics and cut a lot of the frills out, right? And then we realized that, hey, there is a possibility that you can actually wrap up all your expenses in 40% and still leave a margin for yourself. Of course, this is also possible because we now run a chain hotel, so when you run a chain hotel, you centralize a lot of your costs and then at a unit level, your costs go down. So for an independent property, this may not be possible. But at a chain level, this is possible because your unit node level costs really come down. Uh, and then you can make this possible. So this is something that the idea of a townhouse or the idea of something like a townhouse is, is, is really good. And it is here to stay. 
the the one thing that probably we need to uh, the the difference that has happened from earlier days to now is that this is my personal opinion my view is that the relevance of brands in hotels has actually come down so it doesn't matter whether that property is called a oyo or a townhouse or an octave or an x or a y because information is now freely available using technology right you can go to a tripadvisor booking.com or google and really figure out spend 2 minutes on that uh, site to really know what a, how good a hotel is you don't need a brand to tell you you don't it doesn't need to be a taj to know that okay only taj is a good hotel in that uh, city and all other hotels are uh, not good, right so now this has really democratized information and this has really made sure that our allegiance which is why i was of the opinion always that while a brand is important in today's world it is not that brand that sells the hotel it is the efficiency and the performance of a hotel that sells yeah uh, and we're going to touch upon um, how that business has changed but i want to go back to um you know when you were figuring all of these things out the first question is what were one or two levers that really changed it for you was it the act of sort of closing down the restaurant and bar and just focusing on on what you were good at um and if there were any other levers we'd love to get into that and um and then we'll jump into like how has the hotel industry sort of changed and and how did you sort of go about scaling octave hotels things like that so i think both your questions are kind of uh, connected because there is not one thing that changed yes there are some strategic changes that happened where as i told you i cut down uh, some of these other uh, ancillary units that are they were unprofitable but other than that one of the big realizations that i had was that uh, you know the hotel business is primarily centered around two pillars one is marketing the hotel and the other is operations which is running a hotel and i realized that in today's world with the hyper competition marketing a hotel was actually becoming a lot more important than running a hotel right so if you ask me today i give almost 80 to 90% of my time towards marketing the hotel and only about 10 to 20% of my time towards running Of course, I'm lucky enough that I have a good team of operational team who can take the workload and and run with the operations. But this is the key difference, which is also the key lever that helped us change ourselves and be scale up, one be profitable ourselves, and then use that to scale. So, if you ask me, when people ask me, "Are you a hotelier?" I say, "No, more than a hotelier, I'm a hotel marketer." Right, a hotel marketer, a successful hotel marketer in today's world is actually a success, successful hotel, right? Because that's the key lever that is different. Now we can go a little bit deeper into that. So one of the things that I uh, realized, see, I joined the hospitality industry in 2012, and at that time the online business and the OTAs and the apps and the smartphones was just about coming up. So at that time the online business was uh, sort of uh, 10 to 20% of our uh, of our total business over time what happened is that fast forward today in my hotels online business is almost 90% of my business right even in large five star hotels you'll be surprised that the online business has come up to almost more than 50% of their total business which means that technology and marketing using these channels as a big um, has a big differentiator to which to who can be successful and who cannot Right, so there's a there's a funny thing that actually happened in my property. So th- this is way back in 2012. I had somebody at that time who was uh, 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 taking over my or running my online marketing piece, and uh, sadly that person decided to move on in the career to uh, to another company. 
And I was left with the situation that uh, nobody was there to pick up that slack. And I kind of, for lack of uh, uh, any other option, stepped in to pick up the slack and got deeper into understanding how this whole online marketing thing works. And hindsight, that happened to be the best thing that happened to me. Because the more I got deeper into it, I realized that, you know, this is really the key lever. This is really the key differentiation. If people can figure out how to position and sell themselves effectively in the today's internet-enabled online world, right, eventually that's going to give us the marketing leverage that's going to help fill our hotels up. And as we said, running a hotel is not hard. Filling a hotel is hard in the hyper-competitive world. And so that's kind of the, the key thing. And that's that's the genesis of how uh, even IOCell was founded. Right? When I realized that, okay, I was doing this successful for my hotel, successfully for my hotels, I was like, hey, wait a minute. This is something that we've chanced upon, which is, uh, which is a skill that is not really out there and which I think the industry needs. And hey, why not we start doing it for other hotels? And that's how the idea of uh, doing it for a few hotels around me happened. And we started having some clients in India, and that's why we thought, okay, IOSL would be an Indian company where servicing some Indian clients. And then, uh, incidentally, I happened to go to uh, London and Berlin in one of the travel expeditions and these exhibitions. And uh, I met up with, uh, you know, when you travel around these exhibitions, you meet with hotel owners around the world. And I realized that, hey, wait a minute, this problem is not just Indian. This problem exists around the world. Right? People have not really solved this problem of how to sell themselves effectively online. And I will get a little bit deeper on that. Uh, but that's how this company became came out of nowhere and now probably has the scope to be a global company. No, I just wanted to point out one like really important lesson that you mentioned, Siddharth, about how you got into the digital marketing and then you were able to figure out um, that, hey, this is your key lever. Because I think as... As entrepreneurs or as business owners, a lot of times it's very easy to just um, delegate something to somebody and be like, I need I need to do digital marketing. It's not something that I know how to do. I'm just going to hire for this position because I don't know about it. But when you actually get into the trenches and you actually figure it out yourself, the amount of learning that you're able to get out of it, you learn the processes, you learn the nuances, and then the kind of people you're able to hire because you understand that is much better. Okay, so I think your question was that how much should an entrepreneur get involved uh, in when, when solving new problems? And um, I think that this was uh, this was totally not something they teach you in MBA school, to be very honest. And this is contrary to what I learned in, in B school. Because the general mantra is that, yes, delegate and do only what is necessary, which is right. I still agree with that. However, when you are trying to solve a problem and when you're trying to innovate, I feel that as an entrepreneur, my lesson has been that unless you as an entrepreneur get into the details, you will never be able to innovate, right? So you don't have to uh, always run with everything. But my mantra in general is that you, you first find a problem, get deep into it, try to solve it with whoever your best team is, put systems and processes in place, like how we did with the whole online marketing and digital marketing piece, and then slowly start getting yourself out of it. Right? Once you understand the problem, the solution, and the innovation from its core depth, right, you will be able to much better delegate from it. So, which is why, as I told you, that today I don't even spend 10% of my time on operations. But there was the first two years is when I spent a lot of time getting into every detail of operations to understand it, set a system and process around it, and then slowly, slowly take yourself back and delegate it around. So that is typically my mantra in uh, 
as an entrepreneur. And I think that, uh, yeah, I don't think that's something that was taught to us in these schools. Other than, uh, other than innovation, what it actually does is also you you sort of get a feel for what kind of a person will actually thrive in this role, right? Because you know exactly what needs to happen. So you then go out and, and look for a required skill set. We've gone through this and in a very small way, when we were trying to sort of build a team around the Indian dream, um, we hired someone and we had no clue on what they were supposed to do because we had never done it, right? Um, that's when we took a step back and did things ourselves first, documented a bunch of things, made standard operating procedures, and then went and hired someone which had, which turned out to be significantly more successful. Um, so 100% agreed with that. Um, before we get into the whole technology piece of it, how did you scale up Octave? So your first hotel, you figured out how to make it profitable. Uh, how did you then go out to, you know, who was your target segment? How did you go out and convince them? What were what was that phase of growing to 15 hotels? Yeah, so I think a lot of it happened by chance. Is that because we started doing well and uh, a lot of the others were not, right? So when the others were not, then just generally somebody, we got a call saying that, hey, uh, there are, as I told you, there are a lot of landlords who own hotels who are typically not hoteliers. They're just landlords, right? And these landlords, because of small hotels, uh, they don't really know how to make uh, profit out of it. So we just, it happened with one hotel. So I remember growing from one to two was the hardest part of my growth. Going to, growing from two to four was then slightly easier. Four to 10 was even easier. And I'm hoping that 10 to 20 will be even easier. Because now it just kind of becomes a, a part of it. So we have a network of brokers. We have a, you know, once you build credibility and, uh, you know, success feeds on success, right? So one of the things that really works for us is that our landlords and our partners, our suppliers swear by us, right? Even throughout the coronavirus pandemic, all my landlords have supported me throughout because they realize that we have built a credibility over the last five, seven years since the time I've taken their properties. We've always paid their rents on time. We've always never done any, uh, you know, any hanky-panky with uh, with that. So I think that one of the biggest uh, reasons for our growth in Octave, if you ask me, has been our credibility, right? Our credibility with the current landlords. And again, because I come from the view that you should not grow too fast, more than what you can manage. First, try to figure out what you can manage and then plan around it. So now we are at a stage. So as I said, first to two was, uh, was obviously a big deal. Two to five was slightly bigger deal and we were trying to figure out how to do from two to five five to ten was much easier and i have a feeling that 10 to 30 will be even easier because now we've kind of learned credibility in the market we put systems and processes around it all of those things are working in our favor and we everybody is just more and more comfortable everybody knows what needs to be done uh our, it, it's like a template which just needs to be copy pasted yeah i was going to say a lot of what you what you're saying uh, tells me that you're a huge fan of playbooks, playbooks that can be repeated over and over again to do something. Um, and, and that's the only way to, that's the only way to scale, I guess. This is what they taught us in yeah, school, right? That, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I mean, it's all process, process power, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I first got into entrepreneurship, so I went, I attended an SME workshop where somebody told me that the success of SMEs are built around three words, PPT. Okay, and I really that really hit a nerve with me, and I've held on to that. And PPT is like people, process, technology, right? If you ask any the key levers of what makes a small business successful or small to medium business, 
you as a owner, as an entrepreneur, you have to focus on these three things. Get the right people, put processes in every place, and do not forget to use technology to grow, to grow your uh, it's funny that you mentioned this. These were the exact three levers when I was P- when I was at PwC selling contracts of millions of dollars. This is how we used to sort of tell them, okay, we're going to do this in people, this in technology, this in process. Um, so that I completely agree, right? Like these three things, and if you think deep um, about these, and if you can automate a bunch of things using technology, set procedures, get the right people, things start sort of happening automatically. Um, okay, li- let's let's sort of now talk about the IOCL, sort of birth of IOCL and IOCL. Um, let's talk about the birth of IOCL and and how did you sort of start productizing this service that you were doing technically, right? Like this Octave Hotels was technically a service where you were doing a lot of these marketing and stuff like that. Where did the idea for technology product come in and what have you done since? So so uh, just to get, so I spoke a little bit about marketing of a hotel. So maybe to dive a little bit deeper, what actually sells a hotel, right? One of the things we realized is that uh, when a customer looks to choose a hotel in a competitive market, what are some of the key levers that he looks for? And we tried to, uh, uh, we we basically narrowed it down to four key options or four key things that a customer looks for, right? One is uh, location, uh, which typically you can't change. A hotel is where it is. Uh, second is uh, what does a hotel look like? So what we call as content, which is typically around photographs and, and images and you know descriptions and things like that. Third is uh, which is very important in today's world is uh, feedback of the hotel, which has moved from word of mouth to reviews and ratings. So every time we pick a hotel in any random uh, place that we want to visit, the first thing we look at is reviews and ratings. Apart from the first two that I mentioned, right? So that is the third thing. And the fourth is price, like whether it fits within our budget. So technically, these are the four things that any customer looks for in deciding a hotel. Now, what we realize is that one thing we cannot change of a particular hotel is the location. I can't take physically take a location a hotel from one place and put it into another better location. I can't do that. Right? A hotel is located where it is. The other three are the areas where we can make a difference. And that is where technology uh, expertise comes in. And that is how the birth of IOCL came into be. We realized that the key was around these three things. We needed to make sure that, uh, you know, we put the right content out there. We need to make sure that we had systems and processes in place to measure, uh, uh, you know, feedback as well as ensure that the reviews and ratings were, uh, were good for a hotel, as well as the most important part was that we needed to make sure that we had dynamic pricing in place. So that every room could sell at the right price at the right time to the right customer through the right channel, right? This is kind of what we already see in airlines, right? Where we we try to look for a flight and we see almost real time changing of prices, and you know it can change at all times. Surprisingly, while you may have experienced some of that in hotels, what actually goes behind the scenes is very very different. It happens still in a very old manual way where there is a guy sitting in front of a computer who's putting a price in. He probably changes that price once or twice a day, sometimes once or twice a month, depending on what kind. And we realize, hey, this is not the way we're going to maximize business. Now that we have online as a big channel, now that the customer has become very discerning, he's become very last minute, he's become very dynamic. How we choose to manage our pricing is very, very important. And that is kind of the core idea around which IOCell was built. IOCell was built around being an automated revenue management and a dynamic pricing system. 
which meant that it could, using various levers, it could decide when to increase the price and when to decrease the price and in how, mu how much proportion. And it was fully connected. So this is not just deciding. It is also being connected to all the distribution channels and making sure the entire ecosystem was happy, having this in a fully automated and real-time manner. So let's say the algorithm decides that the price should go up by 20%. Immediately, the algorithm should also be connected using APIs to, to, to all uh, publicly available channels, which includes uh, OTAs like Booking.com and Expedia and Make My Trip, and even meta searches like Google and TripAdvisor, as well as the hotel website. So all of that was happening in a fully automated, real-time, dynamic, uh, you know, uh, way. So this is the the kind of birth of IOCell and why we thought this was a problem to solve. First, honestly, it started off as a services business where we thought that okay, all of these three four things could be done manually. Right? We thought that okay, they are doing it at a certain capacity. We can do it at a three x or five x capacity, and this would be enough. And we had Excel sheets, and we had people behind it, and we have people doing it manually. Then I realized that, okay, you know, coming from an engineering background, I realized that, hey, this is good. This is really working, but it can't scale, right? You can't do 200 hotels on this model, right? Because you need people to keep doing stuff. Then we said, okay, the, the only way this can work is that we put technology behind it. Then we went around hiring a tech team, and it helped that I have been a, a, a software engineer because I have kind of, till today, I'm both the chief product officer and the chief technology officer of my company. Right. So, um, yeah, we built automation in place and we kind of, uh, you know, we productized it a little bit. And the one of the biggest differentiations we always had was that we were our own customers. So in the in the technology parlance, it says uh, eat your own dog food. Right. So we were eating our own dog food to realize that, OK, we cannot sell a lemon to our customer because everything that we are building, we are first consuming it ourselves. And if there is an issue, we will discover it before our customers discover it. Right? So that is what kind of made the big difference in ensuring that our technology kept up. And I was using it for Octave Hotels. So Octave Hotels and IOCell are both kind of hand in glove with each other. Right? Uh, so, so yeah, so we started off being a, a dynamic pricing and revenue management system. And that was a middleware system. So this middleware system would uh, connect to the channels and the OTAs. And it would typically connect with hotel ERP systems like property management. PMS system is what we call it in the hotel industry. Right? What we realized over time is that, hey, there were enough and more of these small and medium hotels that wanted to actually have a full stack solution to this. So over time, while IOCell started off in the first few years as a pure pricing and revenue management system, over time, we did both backward and forward integration. And we built our own property management and an ERP system that can run and power a hotel and do all the day-to-day -day things like check-in, check-out, uh, you know, billing and things like that as well as direct connections to all online channels, including your website and booking engine, as well as, uh, you know, OTAs and, and, and booking.com and, and all of that. So that's how the journey of IOCell kind of uh, went. I know. And, and we were speaking before this call and you said the entire market has moved to the last 48 hours before the room night begins, right? Most of the bookings are now happening in that period, which would mean that, any sort of manual effort is not going to be able to keep up because if everything is going to happen in those 48 hours, there's so many changes that you need to do that automation almost becomes a necessity. Exactly. Exactly. And this is what we realized that, I mean, till today, business hotels get maybe 60% of their business in the last 48 hours, 60 to 70%. The leisure hotels, which are more the holiday destinations, they, they may be a little bit more planning in that. 
So there, the the percentage of business in the last 48 hours may be less than, uh, maybe about 30-40%, but still a very high percentage. So the need for dynamism, the need for uh, quick decision-making, real-time dis- decision-making seems like a necessity. And yes, as you said, to me, it was just glaringly staring in my face that this is required. Why isn't anyone doing it? Why is the solution not there in the market for this? And which is why I was I actually went out trying to look for a product like IOSEL. And I honestly did not find any product that was worthy of being uh, of solving the problem that I was trying to solve. And then I was like, hey, you know what? Let's just build it. And that's how it kind of serendipity. Yeah, uh, that's that's extremely interesting. How have you gone to market with this? I know you have 200 hotels already tied up on the platform. Uh, what have your learnings been in terms of taking this to market? And I, uh, a lot of listeners obviously can't see it because they're looking at audio. I can see the the map behind you where you have like those magnetic pins of all the customers and they're all across the world. So how did you take this to market? So, yeah, so this is obviously now there are two biggest challenges of being a startup, right? First is building a good product and then selling that product, right? If you think about it, it's, it just can be simplified into be, those, these two things, right? I still am I'm spending a lot of my time in building that masterpiece, right? Because I feel that unless you have that real masterpiece, you can't take it, right? So... To be very honest, we have not gone full throttle on the marketing, but I will tell you the journey of how whatever marketing we've done and how we've reached where we've reached. Right? So when we started, initially, a lot of it, having been in the industry helps because you are a hotel owner yourself. So you have a network. We attend a lot of these uh, hotel conventions and we have our friends and family and a network of fellow hoteliers who we kind of just stay connected to. So you can say that the first maybe... Uh, First 20, 30 clients were all uh, from the network, right? And from the network and people who we kind of knew, uh, uh, you know, directly or indirectly. And that's how the initial uh, lot came about. Once the initial lot came about, it was very important for us to also try our model on the first, you know, sort of the, uh, uh, the, the trial customers. As things started improving, there were two things. One is that, yes, we... Um, uh, we had great feedback from our customers. So not only did our customers give references to other cust- to other hoteliers for our product, they also started growing a lot themselves. So earlier, a person who had one hotel under him, it now has five hotels under him, right? Because he has the power of technology and automation and all the good things that we provide, it helps him grow, right? And a lot of this growth was organic. Right? It was really organic to the point where, uh, and this is obviously a lot of uh, uh, within uh, India and within our close circuits. So over time, uh, fast forward one more year, we what we started doing was that we started attending a lot of these um, uh, international conventions and exhibitions. So uh, in conventions and exhibitions helped us a lot, not just meet potential customers, but also meet potential partners. Right? So we have, for example, a partner in Vietnam, we have a partner in South Africa, we have a partner in North Africa, we have a partner in, in Europe in some countries. So these are people. So you'll be surprised because the availability of good technology solutions in this industry is still, uh, is still less. So while there are a lot of providers of technology, good technology comes hard. Right, A lot of it are, for lack of a better word, not very quality products. Right. Uh, so then a lot of these partners are out there because this market is huge. Think about the travel industry. Now you add Airbnb, you add all hotels, 
every accommodation that exists in the world into this industry. It's a massive industry. It's a multi-billion dollar industry around the world. Right? And all of them have the same kind of problems around, you know, finding customers, how to run my uh, property efficiently, how to get uh, customers through direct channels, indirect channels, OTAs, Google. These are all standard now. What we've seen is that our problems are not Indian problems. They are standard global problems. Right. So, so that is where we found a lot of customers in these exhibitions and, uh, and these uh, uh, conventions. We found partners who later found us a lot of these customers. And now what we've been doing in the last maybe one or two years uh, is a lot of digital marketing. What we realize is that, you know, a B2B product like ours, a SaaS product like ours, the key is digital marketing. So now digital marketing is around a lot of pillars. And again, that's a whole class and a whole different uh, domain. But I will just maybe touch upon some of the key ones. One is that you need to make sure that you start uh, ranking up on the keywords of whichever ones that you're focusing on so that people tend to find you. Rather than you finding customers, customers should find you. right? And that is how you do with a mix of good uh, search engine optimization, good of website building, a lot of content creation, as well as paid advertising in, in Google AdWords and, and Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads and, and so on and so forth and email marketing and all of that stuff. And so when you have when you build this entire uh, ecosystem of uh, digital marketing, a lot of incoming leads. So now we have reached a point where 70% of our leads are incoming leads, right? We we have very few out outgoing outbound leads, right? So a lot of them reach us through either word of mouth, through internet, through search advertising or email marketing, and all of that. And again, you know, word of mouth as well as uh, partners and exhibitions. So these are the three, four sort of uh, key areas around which we do our marketing and growth. Great. Uh, a bunch of uh, things that I want to sort of point out. One, whenever it comes to SMB SaaS, which is, you know, targeting software for small and medium businesses, the mecca is if you can help them earn more revenue, right? Those are the easiest softwares to sell because there's no gyan, there's no nothing, there's take this, make more money, right? Um, so I think one, I think uh, IOSL gets that right. And the second, what I was going to sort of ask when you've answered all, already is in order to now grow this profitably, there is no way you can have a field sales team. You can have either partners in different countries, but a lot of it will need to be inbound for it to be profitable, right? Um, because you're targeting that segment where per ticket size revenue is not that high, you're going to play in volumes and volumes can only be done in an automated fashion. So I love how you already sort of started figuring out the SEO, something that a lot of entrepreneurs, by the way, focus on way later in the game, right? Uh, because it doesn't give you immediate impact. You sort of chase the short term things and then you realize that should have been doing SEO all this while. Um, so, so I, I already, uh, like how you've been, yeah. For me, I can just tell you that this also was a big revelation to me. Like, you know, honestly, when we started this four years ago, this 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 uh, insight was not so clear to me, right? I was uh, in the traditional business sense going about selling our product to people, going about making cold calls, telling people, hey, please buy my product. Hey, I have something really good where well, this can help you, so and so, right? And as what happened, I mean, thankfully, around the, uh, around the journey, we partnered with a digital marketing agency. We now have partnered with a PR agency. So these people, they kind of teach us the tricks of the game, which I had no insight to. And then over time, I realized that the value of a lead who's looking for you is astronomically higher than the value of a lead who I'm looking for. 
right? There is a big difference, right? Now this guy is looking for me and he has found me through using all internet and search engine and uh, you know all of that, whether paid or free advertising. That value is immense because now all I have to do is convince him that I have a good product and at a good price, right? When I reach out, when I cold call to a new customer, I have to first convince him that he has a problem, right? And then try to tell him that I have a solution for it. That is a much, much harder problem to solve than somebody who kind of already realizes he has a problem is less looking for a right solution. Yeah. Right. And much more expensive to solve that problem also, right? Because you need people talking to these uh, guys, the salespeople, team of salespeople and all of that. Um, and, and that can hurt the unit economics really bad. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And this is one of the main reasons why we've kept our uh, business very profitable. Our cost, I mean, again, we can go detail more into uh, how have we kept our uh, business profitable. Yeah, so so let's let's get into that. Um, I was very fascinated to know the team size that you have. Um, I know we discussed it very briefly earlier, but for our listeners, how big is that IOCell team that is now serving 200 customers um, on this technology product? And by the likes of it, you're just getting started. So all of this is just something that you've been able to do in the last two years. So a lot of people don't believe me and they think I'm lying when I say this, that we have our team size is actually 10 people. Right, and this it, this includes uh, this includes engineers, this includes uh, uh, account management people as well as sales and marketing. This doesn't include our agencies, obviously, our outsourced agencies. But uh, yeah, so this is uh, this is something that has also I think I have learned because of Octave and my entrepreneurial experience, and what we talked a little bit about earlier about how to get deeper into uh, every problem solving and get your uh, hands dirty, wrap your head around it, and then slowly uh, move out. I think we are still in that phase where we are solving a lot of problems, right? And we are still figuring out and understanding what those problems are, which means that they require a lot of my time. And one of the reasons why the team size is so small is because I am still quite deeply involved in many aspects of the business. I am still very deeply involved in technology and engineering, which means I'm kind of uh, de facto both uh, product uh, and heading both product as well as technology, uh, as well as I'm CTO, as well as the CPO. Uh, I'm also the CMO, you can say, because I'm also like looking after the agencies as well as the technology efforts. So with a, with a high, I know that this may also sound like a red flag because it sounds like, okay, is one person doing a little too much? Right. And I, I know that this is not the plan for long term. This is just my view of as an entrepreneur. I have learned that unless you understand things from inside, once you do that, you can start stepping up out. So I'm already in that phase of moving away and letting go and making sure. But now I understand the core of most of these things. I really understand how digital marketing works. Now I don't have to run it. Right. I know how to manage somebody who runs digital marketing. Now I understand how our core product architecture is, right? Having been an engineer, I know exactly how our databases are structured, exactly what is what are the sort of bottlenecks in our product. So now, even if a CTO comes in, I'll be able to oversee that quite easily, right? Not being lost about it. So I just feel that in my entrepreneurial journey, that is the main reason why we have kind of had a small team. Also believed a lot in automation. Everything has automated. So, for example, I'll give you a small, small snippet. Uh, uh, in the beginning, we were spending a lot of time, because it's a SaaS company, we were spending a lot of time chasing payments, right? And payments was a big challenge. And uh, we almost had to keep one or two people dedicated to do that. 
what we did when when we when i realized that this was a real problem we kind of baked it into our product so now being a saas product it already has a built in payment reminder payment tracking as well as penalty if your payment does not come on time into the product now it is not something that is manually done by anybody so and you'll be surprised earlier by putting two people in there our payment collections was almost 40 to 50% per uh, uh, every month now we are closing to 95% payment collection by having no person in there right because we believed in automation of that right so these are some just tips and tricks and some of the reasons why our uh, <laughs> our costs have been low and maybe we still be and another big thing okay sorry i forgot to say that i don't pay myself a salary so <laughs> so obviously because again i'm part of another business and this is a baby that i'm nurturing so you don't really you don't really ask your kids to pay you right so <laughs> no so so i this is this is the fact that you're bootstrapping a technology product that is is fairly complicated for i mean you know for everything that it does is fairly complicated the only way to do that is either uh um, you go out and raise funds but that comes with its own caveats and riders and what not um that you probably have to make it extremely big for the returns to happen or you do something where this the cash flows of that particular business support it right and this classic service to product right in is the same thing for you technically in the sense that you were doing all of these services and now you're productizing it but the services are basically supporting the cash flow and a lot of that you know incubation period of sorts um when it pans out which is which in bootstrapping slight takes slightly longer than than what you would if you if you were to go out and raise venture capital money but it gives you a chance to do it right right a lot of what i'm listening from you is there's no lack of ambition but you're also mindful of the fact that you can't just do this in 3 to 5 years right it, it's a long term sort of game that you need to really understand and lay the foundations for i think that's a big difference in how how people who are bootstrapping versus how people um, who go out and raise capital think see and, and just a small thing that i would like to add to that is that it's not like i don't want to do it in 3 to 5 years i would love to do it as early as possible as you rightly said there's no shortage of ambition here and i also see an opportunity and the opportunity needs i mean you know go to market is also important the only thing i'm very off is doing it the wrong way right and you highlighted a few companies before i don't want to name them but i feel that some companies who have gone about this solving this journey are doing it right because they are focusing a lot more on growth as opposed to doing things right right so you first got to get your house in order before you can try to really mass expand right and the, which is why i felt like yes the initial 2 to 3 years minimum should have been spent in making your core right which means building you know first building a good product and good product is not easy to build right it's it's a it's a mammoth of a task to build a good product then to build a good service element around it build your core team that understands your ethos you understands your values that you have a mechanism in place to service your customers you have a mechanism in place to reach out to new clients to find new leads and to be able to efficiently service them all of this needs again systemization right so a lot of what i have spent my time is in systemizing all of this right now that we are reaching a point of so i'm already in that phase right now because i think very soon maybe in the next 2 to 6 months is where i should be starting to disconnect from the product a little bit and starting to move more towards mass growth because i think the time is right and now we have a good product we have a good solution um, we have to do we have to fulfill our ambition and that ambition does not mean to be successful for ourselves the ambition always is to solve a problem for the industry and in that process you can be successful for yourself 100% 
um that that speed that speed thing i think uh, if you go big too soon um you left a, you leave a lot of flanks basically open for uh not working properly for lack of a better word right uh it works in certain cases i think it works in consumer products you can you know where there are network effects and stuff like that for everything else you're better off just getting the house in order before you press that pedal um my belief i hope i i i don't know that's your belief clearly that's my belief clearly but uh, half the world does not believe but that so so, so I, i mean there is there is that nuance and everything all of that for b2b saas right i've i've been in this space since 2011 and when i now read about companies these were companies nobody had heard of for 5 7 10 years they were just operating in their niche verticals and suddenly you hear about them and you realize oh these are giant businesses zenoti is a perfect example right nobody heard of zenoti before they came out and said hey they're now a 2 billion dollar company uh, servicing just salons right who would have thought that as a segment is that big um and there multiple bay area companies where you know back in the day they were just operating under the hood just solving a real problems taking it slow but when they hit that pedal suddenly the saas margins start showing up that's the beauty of this business is the margins can be insane right um so i'm i'm very excited by what you're going to do with iosl and and the fact that you have octave hotels to do all your testing and experiments and all of that um the product is automatically going to be pretty interesting i think yeah that's kind of been our core uh, differentiator you see if you see if you ask what has been a core lever for success for us also and this is obviously we have the luxury of having being in a solution like this in a situation like this most people do not have a situation like this where we can eat our own dog yeah. right yeah so which means that the amount of rework that we've done is much lesser the amount of mistakes we've done like a lot of i hear a lot of product companies they build a product they take it out in the market and then they realize oh they've totally messed up they have to come back and completely redo it right thankfully for us because that has been much lesser because we have um, the market or whatever our trial run in house yeah i could sense the smile on sail's face as soon as you said it because he was like yes i can do it um but yeah i, the, I this this whole thing about i think uh, the way you're doing it is is very interesting and one of the benefits that you have if you're profitable is you have an infinite runway right so you can just keep at it and it's a real problem it's not this problem is not going to disappear um if anything there'll be more complicated otas and more you know interesting models i i remember um back back in 2013 14 there was this interesting app related to travel industry i don't know i i think it was an experiment that went nowhere but some company basically said you have options to i'm going to say either you can go to boston or you can go to let's say philadelphia right some some or chicago for that matter i won't be able to tell you where i'm going to send you it's going to be one of these two places and it's going to be 500 bucks depending on dynamic pricing whenever i get the you know what whenever i can make the money on either of these two routes you're going to go there right it was an experiment but the point i'm trying to make is this industry changes very quickly on how consumers are interacting with it and manual processes are just not going to scale up so um yeah yeah so it's an interesting journey ahead i mean i i can see us uh, you know the the industry is very large which is one of our uh, so the two things that that keep me very excited is that the the size and scope of the industry is very large and the problem that exists is very real right the problem of lack of automation lack of good technology lack of uh, dynamism and integration is real 
right? So whether we will be able to crack it, whether ours is the right product for it or not, whether bootstrapping is the right way to it, I mean, who knows, maybe at some point we realize that, okay, we are not utilizing our full potential and maybe it's not a bad idea to, to you know, maybe get some expertise and some funds to try and mask it. It's for time. Yeah. For like sure. These are all the things that are time for time to time. But I feel reasonably excited and hopeful that we are, I mean, in a place trying to solve a real problem. Interesting. Uh, a couple of things, if you're open to sharing, where are you at, at in your journey with IOSL in terms of revenue, MRR, uh, which is, you know, monthly revenue rate, which is what SaaS is generally evaluated at. Uh, the reason why I'm asking you this is just to show um, our listeners on 10 people team uh, solving a real problem. What's Where are you guys at and you know, where can you land up at? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It's not, I'm happy to share it. Uh, as of now, we are at a, probably a yearly, uh, uh, you know, yearly run rate. ARR is what uh, the metric that we call of about $250,000, right? And I think the, the, the big metric or the big, the next immediate next goal that we are looking for is uh, 1 million. So typically in most uh, SaaS companies, what they say is the moment you hit that 1 million metric is when, you know, things start changing. I don't think we are there yet. So um, I we are on a journey to be there. I feel that, as you said, that the margins are very high, which leaves us a lot of free cash flows. We are not dependent on external fundings. We don't have a large cost, uh, uh, cost setup. So we have a larger runway. But it doesn't change the fact that we still have to increase our growth. Right. So if you ask me, the biggest challenge that is there before me uh, right now is to how to supercharge our group. Yeah. From a pricing perspective, very curious, just out of as a SaaS nerd, I'm asking you this. Is it just completely fixed pricing or because you're helping them grow sales, are you taking a cut of that? So this is, a, this is an interesting question, actually. So we have a mix of both fixed and variable pricing. Uh, usually the variable pricing is for smaller independent hotels and the fixed pricing is more for larger hotels. Right. So smaller hotels which have a low base, they are happy to uh, attach your fees to the revenue that they generate or that our system helps them generate. And the larger hotels, more successful hotels are typically ones that they like your product, they like your system and they like your automation and they say, hey, we'll have a fixed price for this. So our, uh, our average revenues per customer is probably in the range of $200, $250 uh, per month per customer. But again, there's a wide range of it. There is there is a range to it. Uh, so when you put it variable, there are, there are some of them on both sides of it. Makes sense. We've spoken about everything that's happened in the last you know eight ten years in terms of building and what have you been able to do with Octave Hotels, IOSL. But your industry specifically, the entire world saw this black swan event of COVID nineteen pandemic. But your industry was significantly more impacted than any industry out there. One. Um, what have you seen change um, in this space? Are a lot of people actually going out of business? Um, will the competition actually reduce? How has the industry been? How has the industry changed over the last year? So yeah, so as you rightly said, I think out of all the industries that exist, we are probably one of the industries that has hit the hardest, right? And the second wave is even harder than the first wave, and uh, we are now seeing, at least in India, uh, you know. Completely eradication of revenues, both for me personally, both on the Octave side as well as on the on the ISL side, because everybody hotels are temporarily closed. There's lockdowns everywhere, and this has kind of been the trend internationally also over the last year. But although international markets are now opening up, and the Indian market is closing down, 
So, um, so yeah, so it is definitely a big challenge. But uh, since the time COVID has happened, I have always believed that every uh, calamity presents an opportunity. And every industry has a sort of a watershed moment uh, to rediscover, rechange, and re-innovate itself. And I feel the hospitality industry is going to go through that uh, post-COVID more than ever before. And one of the key things that's going to come out of it uh, post-COVID is the emphasis on technology and automation. So that's where I think we are best positioned, hopefully, to ride this wave in the future. Because, uh, you know, what we have been thinking of in trying to automate, uh, make, make our hotels more efficient, make our technology more integrated, all of that stuff uh, that we've been working on for the last four to five years is now going to start becoming more and more relevant. Right? We are already seeing that, yes, it is a fact that a lot of uh, supply may actually uh, shut their shutters. Right? There may be some supply that may permanently shut down. And whoever stays also will now start to question. Everybody's going to question. And they're going to question, okay, do I want to be in this industry? If I want to be in this industry, how should I be in this industry? In a way that is sustainable, because the world is not going to be the same post-COVID, especially in the hospitality industry. Right? So I feel that, yes, there will be a lot of uh, focus on uh, key pillars like automation, technology, dynamism. And that's where I feel that, hey, uh, I mean, again, this is very far out. And this is all my, this is just me and my <laughs> good hope uh, uh, talking. But I do feel that, yes, there is a possibility for us to actually uh, make more of an impact due to this uh, event. Interesting. Um the 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 entire revenge travel thing is something that i'm i'm i think is going to happen right like given what people have suffered through in the last two years of just being under lockdown i think revenge travel is going to come back in a big way in the next year or so and i think that will obviously help the industry um sort of just cover for something uh, over the last couple of years so, so actually revenge travel kind of already happened especially in India, in the months of November, December, Jan, Feb, uh, right? you could see that so many leisure destinations had almost seen businesses that uh, far surpassed their 2019 businesses, right? because that was kind of a revenge travel. But, I mean, key thing to note, especially for our business and our industry, is that there are two segments in the hospitality industry. right? One is business travel segment and one is leisure travel mm. segment. Right? And these are very different. And you'll be surprised that 60% of the world's supply, 60 to 70% is actually not in the leisure, but in the business. Yeah. Right? Now, this is a travel. All Octave Hotels is definitely fully, completely, 100% in business travel. Right. So all this revenge travel that you're talking about is, is in the leisure. Yeah. It is not in the business yeah. segment. Right? So business segment is a segment that is permanently uh i won't call it destroyed but permanently altered 100 percent. now i see what you're saying uh yeah i should should have thought of thought that through uh but it's going to alter behaviors because now people are going saying maybe this meeting is a zoom meeting uh, exactly yeah. that's exactly what it is right the the presence of the fact that two years we have learned how to work from home and learned how to work remotely and learned how to have meetings Nobody feels the need that why should I travel unless, I mean, unless it's... Uh, Closing of a deal or, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be only, so earlier for any a given transaction, if there were five travels uh, scheduled, now it can be 
reduced to only one uh, travel, like as you said, signing of the paper or something like that, right? And that also now, there are technological solutions for that also, right? So in general, the business travel, especially around urban centers and cities, right, is what is going to be the maximum impact. So if I would love to today be in a leisure segment. If I was in the leisure segment, and many of my clients are, but my Octave, my hotels are not, uh, but in the leisure segment is one where I have no doubt that the revenge travel will come and completely uh, hit it with all its might. We've already seen a glimpse, uh, seen a glimpse of it in in uh, December, Jan, Feb, and we know that we are confident that this is a travel. Leisure is a human need. Yes, yeah? it's a human need for recreation, and it's not something that can go away. Right, the more we cannot do recreational activities in our cities and urban centers because all of us are locked down, the more we seek to do these kind of sort of travel activities. So, in fact, it's only going to get bigger. Problem. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. But I, I like how you you have automatically not not for you know trying. You've just built a hedge with IOSL. It's not like you're just build you know surviving on on the business segment. You have the the leisure segment to target with the technology. Siddharth, thank you so much. This was one of the most fascinating conversations that I've had. Uh, one of the things that I've... These industries, you always look from the outside and unless you sit down with somebody who knows it, you don't really get how it operates. Um, it's always fancy to you know just think about owning a restaurant and owning a bar and running that. But as you said, that's probably the most you know uh, least impactful things that you did early in your career. Uh, it, was, it was very interesting to hear you talk about the entire industry very candidly. So thank you for that. Thank you for you know sharing very openly the numbers, the economics and all of that. Um, hopefully some of our listeners get inspired and go out and do something in this space. Well, thanks so much. It's been a, it's been a very uh, interesting discussion, uh, both uh, Sid and uh, Sai. I think you guys are great, great uh, conversationists. And since you guys have the background, I think it's, uh, it's interesting to talk, talk about some of the deeper aspects of the business that typically don't get talked about in such kind of conversations. Yeah, it was uh, it was great having you on the show. Thank you very much, uh, and uh, all the best, guys.